Welcome to Blockchain for the Billions, where we explore the Web3 landscape and the hot spots of mainstream adoption. Let's get into it. Laura, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. I feel like we've had many, many offline conversations. So we are so excited to have you on as Decasonic and Nier partner quite closely. And we've had so much fun working with you guys this past year. So for those of our listeners that don't know you and don't know Nier, can you kind of give a background on Nier Foundation and your work with Nier Horizons to start? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Laura Cunningham. I am a general manager at Nier Foundation. And Nier Foundation is the nonprofit that is really kind of in charge of supporting the growth of the Nier protocol ecosystem. So what that means is we support community building, obviously, we're excited to dive into here about, and we also engage in strategic partnerships around key founders and like enterprises and, you know, folks who we really want to bring into the Nier ecosystem who are great builders and ethos aligned. And then we also support with the overall kind of brand of Nier, so our like marketing support. And then, of course, we have a pretty robust, you know, legal team who's really keeping track of the regulatory landscape and trying to support the broader ecosystem and understanding how to navigate everything and stay safe. And and our big goal is actually to decentralize over time. And so we're amidst that, and I'm sure we'll dive into that when we're talking about community, but we're, we're actually amidst a pretty big moment in terms of decentralization within the ecosystem. So excited to dive more there. And so the team that I lead and the work that I lead is called Near Horizon. And the goal for Horizon is really to support our founders. So that's the sort of target persona that we have. And the reason why we started Horizon is because when we looked around the ecosystem, I would say probably... I don't know, like September, August of last year, we could see that our founders just needed help, really. We we had entered into a more challenging market. The capital wasn't flowing in the way that it was a few months before. I think what rose to the surface was just a tremendous need for both kind of founder community and then also support outside of funding. So really, you know, support and thinking through like, how do you really build a business in Web3? And how do you think about monetization and all that goes into that? So that's the goal for Horizon is to help our founders get the support they need and be successful businesses and sustainable businesses in the ecosystem. Yeah, absolutely. Near Horizon has grown so much, I feel like in the last year, and I just see the roadmap being exceptionally long as well because how much you're going to be doing in the next in the coming weeks and years. So that's awesome. Thank you for that layout. So jumping right into it, why do you think community in the Web3 ecosystem is essential for founders and builders and innovators? Yeah. So I think it's interesting to think about community at kind of the different layers of the tech stack, actually. So at the infrastructure layer, which is like what you know near protocol is, having a thriving developer and founder community is actually the lifeblood of our ecosystem, right? So if we don't have people building, then we are nothing, right? And so they're really the the ones who are innovating. They're pushing the boundaries of the technology. They're contributing to, you know, new standards development and use cases. And they're also the ones who are making critical decisions about the future of the protocol. So 
I think that's something that's really interesting and very different than the Web2 space because the people who are building actually have meaningful ownership over the direction and over the governance. And so that's something that I think is so, so important and so different. And then at the application layer, community is also incredibly important, but is really more focused on how dApps or decentralized apps can actually build meaningful community with their end users, right? And so the real like unlock of Web3 is allowing those end users to like meaningfully own part of the product and like have some kind of say and where it goes and what makes sense in terms of what kind of features they want. So I think that's also, again, as we think about the really big differences between building community in Web 2 and Web 3, I think it's that ownership piece that really, really comes through. I think that one of the things that I have learned is that who you have in your community matters quite a bit. And so you need people who are really ethos aligned and who are committed to the mission and the vision of what you're building and actually committed to one another also. And so again, really different than web two, where like you can say there's a community around who knows like what brand, but like, do they really feel ownership or is it just that they're getting a perk here and there? Do they really feel commitment? So that's, I think one of the, the coolest and you know, most amazing things of, of being part of this space. It's interesting. That was one of the first things that caught my attention when I was first learning about Web3 and what it meant like two or three years ago was putting the power back into the consumer's hands and the ownership that came with it. So that was, it's like so important when I first learned about it. It's really what brought me into Web3. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think on the ethos front, what we're looking for from our Horizon community it's founders who are really committed to this idea of building the open web where people can really have ownership over their data and their assets and their identities and you know that power of governance. And so we, I think, have an amazing group of, of people who actually believe they're changing the world through what they're building. And I think that makes you so excited to be part of that world and part of that community. And so again, like coming back to that ethos is, is just so critical. I think a lot of Web3 protocols and companies and block, different blockchains, different L2s, a lot of them claim community, but I don't think anyone does it quite like Nier does it because you guys have put such an emphasis on community. And with that said, I know Near Horizons recently launched HRZ1, Horizon 1, your new kind of cohort for companies to come in and build and get the resources of Near Horizons. So can you share a little bit about that and why you launched it and kind of what founders get out of that experience? Yeah, absolutely. We're really, really excited about this first cohort. So we're calling it HZN, which is kind of this idea, like this idea of this fellowship program. And I'll tell you a little bit about like the journey of how, of like, why are we launching it and where have we come from? So we launched Horizon overall, this idea in April. And our hypothesis at that point was that there were a ton of founders who kind of knew what they needed, like needed very specific kinds of support. So something like support in a go-to-market strategy or in like your marketing campaign or support with like auditing or something like that. What they didn't have was actually like a group of people who could help them do those things. And so what we built was a marketplace for support. So it's essentially like a startup support platform where you can come and say, hey, I'm a founder, I'm building this and I need help with whatever, with why. And what we realized that is that 
that model in the marketplace is really impactful for some, but the majority of our founders are at the really early stages of building. And so they actually need like a ton more hands-on support than just providing kind of a platform for them to navigate themselves. And so that really led us to create this fellowship program. So HCN, which is an equity-free exclusive learning community really that like addresses some unique challenges that exist within building and web query. And so and I think one of the more unique things about the program, other than the fact that it's equity free, is that we're really trying to differentiate the learning experience between the uh, different tracks. So really depending on who you are and where you are in your journey. So we have this like idea stage track, which is really, really early founders who are excited about an idea, but haven't actually like gotten to the point of truly, really building yet. And the goal there is that they leave our program with a validated startup idea and a very clear path forward. And then the second sort of bucket are folks who have an MVP. So they have like a prototype, maybe they've launched on testnet. And the goal there is really to transition to having a fully user tested product on mainnet, you have a a full go-to-market strategy, and you have like the foundation for scaling. And then the third is our folks who actually have already launched on mainnet and have some early product market fit. But there the goal is to advance your sales, your customer retention, and your overall like business strategy to be ready for investment. So I would say the key differentiators here are equity-free and really differentiated learning paths for the builders. I have to ask, and maybe you can't tell me this, but what track do you think most founders kind of fall in right now? Or like, where are you seeing maybe the most founders that are coming to this looking to start? It's so interesting. We actually have an even split across the three. It's like 33%. It's crazy. Um, It's kind of cool. I think what we've seen is that often the, the true idea stage founder gets overlooked because they literally have no traction, right? There's nothing, there's nothing they can point to. And so what we don't want to lose is like the momentum and excitement of those really early founders who have great backgrounds, who have been successful, maybe in a Web2 business or in the Web2 space at like launching something or meeting, you know, meaningfully contributing to an organization. And so, you know, have signals that they're going to be able to be successful. So really excited to be able to support them as well as some of the later stage teams. Yeah. I have another question, just one more before. So when these early stage like ideation founders come in, do you usually see them come in with a community or like, do they have not like they just fully have the idea and they need to start from scratch building the community, the MVP, the product market, like everything, like they fully just come with an idea. Yeah. I mean, usually it's really at that point, potentially they've done some product validation work already where they've really tried to target the persona that they're aiming for, understand like the pain points. But I will say that in in Web3, and I'm, I'm sure you all see this as well, I think one of the most frequently overlooked steps in the product development process is like actually really doing that customer discovery and really understanding like, who are you targeting? What are the pain points? What brings them joy? And how can you like meet that? And so I would say that's a huge focus that we have with our founders is making sure that's like front and center in the way that they think about development and building. Especially in this market, because it's like, do you have a who? 
Because we saw, you know, in the bull run, we saw a lot of companies being built for the present day use cases of Web3, like a marketplace to lend yeah. against your board ape or whatever it was. And now whose problem are you solving? As this technology evolves, is there a need in the market? And that's probably an interesting stage to meet with these founders at and really kind of help them validate that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that kind of cold start problem is not new, you know, like obviously web two, that's something we've been reading about and thinking about forever. But I think what's interesting is that there's this perception that because there are so many fewer users, like actually crypto native users in web three, that you somehow like can't find your audience because they just like don't exist. And so I think one of the big like myths we try to move people past is that you really have to be solving a real problem for yeah. real people in order yeah. to get people to use your product. That's probably people who are not crypto native, right? If you're really going to like scale and be successful. So you need to look outside of just the degen population and think about like, what are the broader problems that like humanity is trying to solve and how do you do that? Yeah. There's a saying that you have a solution and you're trying to find the problem. Yeah. And that's, that's a lot of it. So that's interesting. And so what challenges do you see these emerging founders and innovators facing in the Web3 industry when it comes to nurturing and building communities and or Web3 projects? Yeah, totally. I mean, so I think the first one is the one that we were just talking about, which is the cold start problem and not really understanding the who of like, who are you actually really targeting and what's the value proposition that you're bringing to them. So I think that's like the baseline challenge that you have to overcome. I think a second big challenge we see in this space and actually one that I've been kind of surprised about coming from a Web2 background is like misaligned incentives and like mercenaries that are were really built and are kind of symptoms and I think like unintended consequences of the way that a lot of Web3 ecosystems were focused on like grant giving. So basically, I think there's become this baseline expectation that if you're part of the community, you somehow get like monetary compensation for do it for like building or being part of that community. And I think that leads to like a culture of extraction that's really detrimental. So I think you have to kind of overcome a mindset actually, like shift actually, if you're building with other developers. So I think that's the challenge. I think another challenge is actually like public perception, actually. I think blockchain can be really divisive. And so the more we can like stop talking about the underlying technology and like actually just talk about the products and the problems they're solving, I think the better off everyone is going to be. And I think when we thought about building Horizon, what we're trying to do is just provide like a positive, mutually beneficial community for founders to learn from one another and like get support from experts. And we intentionally didn't do capital allocation so that we're not being extractive, right? And there isn't this weird like value premise that you're going to be getting money for participation. Again, as we think about helping people solve some of these challenges, we've been really focused on that part around like customer discovery and understanding the problem and validating the problem as a big solve. It's interesting because near like this cohort, right? You're not investing capital. So it's like, it really is that Web3 ethos when you look at it. Like mm -hmm. at first glance, you'd think like, oh, there's like no token or no like access. So maybe it's not as Web3 ethos, but it is because 
it's aligned incentives. You want them to build on near, you want to help them be successful and you're putting your time in to support these founders. And also you're supporting the Web3 ecosystem at large. And that is what Web3 is all about. But to your point, it gets lost a lot in different token narratives when things become very extractive. And I think that's why when we talk about tokens, we need to talk about narratives and what communities they resonate with and why token, why now, what value does it add on both sides? Because when you don't have these intentional conversations, we keep going back to this blockchain having a bad connotation and needing a rebrand because of the misconceptions in the space. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that we dig really hard on whether a team actually needs to launch a token, you know, at all, because I think it does immediately bring in this whole other component of monetary transfer that doesn't always necessarily improve, you know, your chances of success. In some cases, it actually totally nukes you. And so you have to really, to your point, you have to really like have conviction that this is going to be something that really improves both your economics and your community. And you made an interesting point. It gets lost a lot. And you, you talk about the technology and like the Web3 and the blockchain that comes with it. And that's so stigmatized or that's what's focused on. And I feel like once you are interacting with something that's solving a problem and you don't realize that you're using the technology, the underlying technology of blockchain and Web3, that's when it'll become sticky and the mainstream will really adapt and adopt the technology. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we have some really good examples of that actually within the near ecosystem. So we have Sweat, which is, you know, like a move to earn platform. And so, and did come from a web two space actually initially. So is bridging that like web 2.5 kind of gap, but the whole idea of being able to move and, and actually like earn something for your movement and, you know, make everybody healthier, I think is amazing. And then Cosmos actually, I don't know if you've seen, but is actually the number one app across all of Web3, all protocols, which is incredible, bringing in the most daily average users, um, actually, of all of Web3, which is incredible. So just recently launched on near a couple of weeks ago, and they're bringing sort of like joy, I think, and, and a really interesting new way of connecting consumers with brands and being able to, you know, sort of shop. And so really, really just interesting use cases that, again, are really very real worlds, like connected to what all humans do. So pretty cool. That's a key point, right? Connected to what all humans do, whether it's fitness or shopping. These are things people do and there's unlocks to solve problems there or make them kind of more sticky. So that's a great point. In terms of out, or outside of those two companies, is there any other companies that you've seen kind of great success through Near Horizon or really changed their vision and mapping out with the support of Near Horizon that you'd love to shout out or share a little bit about their journey? Yeah. So we're pretty early on with our cohort. And so I would love to come back and talk to you in a couple of months when our cohort is done and share some more sort of, you know, specific impact. But I think a couple of things that we've seen in these early phases, one is we've been able to partner some of our founders with organizations that are really skilled in customer discovery, user research, UI, UX design, who've actually made huge strides in just their ability to truly, again, understand the problem they're solving and like, are they going to be set up for product market fit? So we're really, really focused on that step in the cycle and think it's going to be really impactful. And then what we've also seen is just the creation of like a safe, positive, welcoming space 
has had a major impact on the morale and like momentum of founders. And so we've been hosting like a Founders Friday every Friday. So just being consistent and like showing up and providing a space has has been just really meaningful for people and which, you know, seems maybe intuitive, but has been really amazing to see. And then I think we're also really excited about this differentiated aspect where we're really able to focus on the early stage founder, the kind of MVP and the later stage. So I think hopefully much more specific success to come in terms of the, you know, the exact teams that we're, we're looking at, but we have 28 founders who are in our cohort and they're all building really incredible things and they're incredible people. So I think success is coming really soon for them. Yeah, I just went through the list of all 28. So maybe we'll have to link that in the show notes so everyone listening can check them out. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, I have a question I ask everybody in Web3 and it's like my personal mission, but it's basically like why Web3 and what is your motivation in Web3? What excites you in Web3 and what use cases really inspires you? It's really, it's about the use case. Like what use case is really important in Web3 for you? Yeah, there are a ton of like interesting use cases where we're seeing like some initial traction right now. And I think particularly in those X to earn areas, right? Like the move to earn, the like shock to earn, you know, those kinds of things I think are really interesting. The reason why I got into the web three space and what fascinated me just about it was it all comes down to that ability to kind of control your destiny and have greater control over like your kind of your future even from like a developer standpoint, like how impactful it could be for developers from like the developing world, the emerging and emerging economies being able to participate in new development and new growth outside of the traditional, like saying companies in America, you know, in America that have like so much market share. And so I have really focused my career on trying to expand access to opportunity. And so I saw this as a way of doing that, not only for the people who are building the products, but then also for the people that are using them, right? It's like, you're actually, you're able to really meaningfully contribute and participate. So that's what like got me like psyched about this space and about near, I think too, because there was this focus on technology for good, right? Like how can we actually meaningfully improve like outcomes? I think a space that sometimes is overlooked and maybe seems a little bit too like academic or esoteric is the DSI space, I think is actually really interesting. We have an amazing team who's building in our um, in-year, which is called Open Forest Protocol. So it's all about like carbon trading. It's essentially like being able to leverage the carbon economy. And so I think that's fascinating and it's solving like an existential need that we have in the world. And so I'm super excited about use cases like that. And then, you know, I think gaming, I think is kind of fascinating. I am not a traditional gamer. I don't, my daughter loves playing like Mario Kart and all that stuff. So maybe she's going to be more in the Roblox, you know, esque and, and metaverse kind of space. But, but things that give you joy are also equally as important as things that are solving really big problems. So that's also an, a really exciting space to be able to engage people really differently and you know than they have been before. It's so funny you mentioned DSI because Grace and I spoke at an event about DSI yesterday and we're kind of exploring that space more. I think it's one of those spaces that actually could use Web3 probably more than commerce or gaming. You know, like there's a there's really need for innovation to shape that industry and to allow grants and other things to kind of come through in these projects that are really needed for the world. So I'm excited to explore that space more. And it's very timely for us as a fund. 
In terms of kind of how you look at community and how you're going to advise community or advise founders in HCN1 on community, can you kind of just give advice for a founder listening that might look be looking for advice on building their community and where they can go to find the resources and support to start tapping into that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think if I were starting out as a founder and thinking about building community, I would first, I think first piece of advice is it comes back to that, like it really, really matters who you have in your community. And especially in the beginning, making sure that you find people who are like values and ethos aligned is everything. The second piece of advice would be that you have to understand that the idea of community in Web3 is kind of intermingled with this idea of decentralization and decentralized like decision-making. You have to be okay with that, right? You have to like actually be okay with like giving up some level of control and decision-making authority. And I think that can be really hard coming from a place of wanting to make sure everything goes really well and all the decisions are kind of perfect. But when you open up into the community, you kind of have to be ready for what comes. So, you know, making sure that you have a clear sense of like, what are the decisions that you have to control versus what are the things that you want your community to actually be a part of making? And then I would say like the third thing is prioritize moments of connection. So like ensure that you're creating meaningful community building moments, you know, like IRL stuff is huge. Like it actually is really meaningful. You can sort of get people to know each other on a human level and like build friendships and I think that people tend to be loyal to other people more than they are to, you know, a specific technology or an application or something like that. So making sure it's kind of people first is, I think, huge too. Absolutely. I think that you always need to like focus on creating a quality over quantity community and those in real life events truly do amazing things for the community. I even heard it at our event that in the summer, everyone was just raving about being able to come and talk in person. And so those are, I think they will get more and more popular. In real life is pretty important in Web3, but do you have any predictions of trends that you might see in the future of Web3 communities? Yeah. So I think one of the things when I kind of look around at all of the innovations that are happening and, you know, read and listen to all all of the things, I think there's like a clear pathway towards, I think like all roads are leading towards kind of interoperability and kind of like modularity, at least within the kind of protocol space. And so I think that's actually a tremendous opportunity to be able to like increase the scope of your community outside of just one specific protocol or ecosystem. So I think that's actually really exciting. It means that kind of your like, your kind of total addressable market, if you will, for your community is like way bigger suddenly than if it was just within your like, you know, near ecosystem, like inviting people from Polygon and from Solana and other ecosystems in because actually we're becoming much more interoperable and like it doesn't it doesn't actually matter quite so much on you know the specific settlement layer that you're using. So we are trying to position ourselves, you know, at Horizon to really be able to capture that momentum and be able to include people who are not near native, right? That's actually been something that has been important to us from the beginning. And, you know, being able to work with a community that sort of transcends the technology, right? It's like, it's more about like the, again, what are you building and what's best? Like, how can you leverage the technology to do that in service of what you're building? I think we're actually really excited about that, that trend and something we hope we can sort of take advantage of in terms of, you know, scaling our community. Laura, thank you so much for sharing kind of all of your thoughts on the future of community, especially when it comes to near. If there's a founder listening that's interested in learning more or getting involved with Near Horizon, 
where uh, can they can they go to get involved? And how can we support NIR as a foundation at large? Yeah, if we do have amazing founders listening, which I hope we do, please go to near.org backslash horizon. And maybe we can put some things in the show notes too. But And you can actually create a profile there for the project that you're building. And then also you'll be able to apply for an upcoming cohort. So Horizon 1 is closed. So we're going to be running that this fall, but we're going to be launching Horizon 2, which is the next cohort in January. So more opportunities to get involved as we go. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Laura. Thank you for tuning in to Blockchain for the Billions. If you found this episode valuable, please consider sharing it with someone who could benefit or give it a shout out on your social platforms. To stay updated on the latest insights from Decasonic, make sure to subscribe to our newsletter, which you can find in the show notes. Thank you for your support. Chat in the next episode.